This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. It is Friday the 13th in the year 2020. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so I actually saw uh, something about that yesterday that, that, it was, that today was Friday the 13th and the way 2020 is gone. Uh, I thought about just staying in bed. Uh, lots to get to this morning. Uh, Dan Zampano, our NFL correspondent, coming up at 9.30 this morning uh, to talk about last night's game, talk about some of the great games from last week. And we're going to take a look at Dan's preseason predictions for the playoffs and see where those stand uh, at this point in the season. So you'll want to stick around for that. He's always entertaining, especially getting him up in the morning uh, is always fun. Um, so the COVID... Uh, News continues to grow, and 159,000 new cases just yesterday. I saw a stat this morning. They said, I think in the in Illinois, they're getting a new COVID case every four seconds. I mean, that's that just boggles the mind. Um, but in light of all this, uh, the Ivy League has canceled winter sports. They became the first Division I conference to cancel all winter sports. It's not just basketball. Uh, it includes wrestling and track, uh, indoor track, swimming, fencing, anything else they've got going on in the wintertime is off. And they have also postponed spring sports until at least February, the end of February. Um, you know, it, the Ivy League has kind of been out in front of a lot of this. They were the first conference to cancel their basketball championships last spring, or actually technically last winter, I guess. Uh, when the whole COVID thing started, they were the first league to get out in front of this. And so, and and you know, we've seen some things with some of the smaller leagues, Division Two and Division Three conferences, where they have canceled conference championships but said and and conference competition but they have said you know that the schools are kind of uh, free to do their own non-conference thing if they want to play within their own state whatnot this sounds like as far as the ivy league goes it's completely off not only will there be no conference championship there'll be no conference schedule there'll be no out of conference schedule they are just shutting down uh, we saw what hockey east just did where they are playing conference only games uh, I think they're doing it a smart way with these flex games at the end so that if anything does get canceled, they've got room to make it up. Uh, but the Ivy League is just going to shut down permanently. Uh, well, not permanently, but at least for the uh, the winter season. And uh, the Ivy League president said in a statement yesterday that, you know, that the student athletes and their families and the coaches and everybody are being asked to make, you know, huge sacrifices for the good of public health. And he said, we, we do not make this decision lightly. I would think not. I would think not. Um, so uh, basketball season is supposed to start in 13 days. The University of Connecticut men have not been able to practice because they had a positive test on the team. We don't know who it was because of privacy laws. They don't have to tell us. But somebody in there tested positive, so they have had to quarantine for 14 days. Their first game is scheduled just before Thanksgiving. As of right now, that would give them about six days of practice before playing their first game. Now, and I don't mean to make fun of the two teams that they're playing in the beginning. They're supposed to play um, Central Connecticut and the University of Hartford, two Connecticut mid-major Division One schools, schools that they could beat with six days of practice. And so as long as I think the health issues stay the same, I would imagine those games will be played. Um, but 
more importantly for UConn, they're losing practice time at a time when you know they're going back into the Big East. The Big East schedule starts on December 11th, so that's more uh, in Danny Hurley's mind, I think, than anything. And they had an interview with him on television yesterday. It was a, a Zoom interview with some reporters, and it was strange. He seemed befuddled by the whole thing. He's like, I, I don't. He's basically said, I don't know what to do. I've never dealt with anything like this. He said, even back when I was coaching high school, he said the longest time I ever went without, you know, being around the players or doing some kind of practice or individual workout or something with these guys is like three or four days. He says, I don't know what to do with myself. And he, he looked like, I mean, he, you, you looked at him, you know, on the screen and he just looked like dazed and confused. So, um, so no basketball in the Ivy League. No other Division One conference has made that call, and I think things are going to have to get way worse for other conferences to make that call. You know, and obviously the basketball season involves a lot of travel in short periods of time. That's the concerning part of this, I think. Now, early in the season, um, it's a little bit easier because there's tournaments and uh, in, in, for instance, they are going to be doing one here at the Mohegan Sun Casino down in Uncasville. They're calling it Bubbleville. Uh, they are bringing in 40 teams, and there's going to be 45 games at the Mohegan Sun over 11 days. That is a lot of basketball. So we're talking about an average of four games a day over 11 days. Uh, that includes games for UConn. The UConn men and women are both scheduled to play three games down there. The men are supposed to play a, a tournament. And they're not all going to be tournaments, by the way. Some of it's just going to be uh, individual games, you know, uh, non-conference games. But there are some tournaments down there. One of them is the, the Legends Classic that the men are going to be in. Uh, they're supposed to play Vanderbilt on December 1st as the second part of a doubleheader. And then they will play either USC or BYU in the second game on December 3rd. These uh, Those were games that were originally supposed to be at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So they're going to be at Mohegan Sun now. Uh, the women, uh, again, they're going to have three games there. Part of that is the Hall of Fame Women's Showcase. They're supposed to play Quinnipiac uh, on November 28th there. And then uh, Maine and Mississippi State winner will play the winner of the UConn-Quinnipiac game. Uh, and then the UConn women are also playing a non-conference game there against Louisville uh, on December 4th uh, as part of the uh, Jimmy V Women's Classic that's going to be on ESPN. So uh, Central Connecticut's going to be there. Quinnipiac's going to be there. But they're also bringing in schools from, uh, obviously, as you've seen from this, from around the country. Uh, they had planned to do something similar down in Orlando uh, much like they did for the NBA, but for whatever reason, it fell through. They said it had something to do with the differing testing protocols uh, among the conferences. So uh, Bubbleville at the Mohegan Sun, it should be interesting. Uh, all the teams will stay in the hotel on the property. Uh, they, they are going to be moving between their rooms, the arena, practice, meeting spaces. All of that will be in private corridors, uh, that has no exposure to the public. And Hartford Healthcare is going to be there to manage uh, all the COVID testing as the teams arrive. So, you know, I think this is a great idea. You know, and the, the idea was floated that this might happen more than once during the regular season. It's much harder to do with conference games, but let's say this succeeds and teams start worrying about the travel. Uh, there's nothing saying that they couldn't arrange for this to happen again at Mohegan Sun, maybe at the end of December, first part of January, and you bring in, you know, the bring in the entire Big East. Why couldn't you do that? Bring in the, all the Big East men's teams for a couple of weeks and play conference games at Mohegan Sun F because you're not going to have fans at your games anyway in the home arenas, so it could work. So... But it's cool. I mean, it's 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 a way to get the season started, to have assurances there will be the start of a season. Whether we'll finish it, who knows? It's kind of like uh, college football right now. And I saw a headline in the AP yesterday that the the 
the legitimacy of this season is in doubt. As the longer we go on and the more games that get scheduled, uh, we saw more games postponed yesterday in college football. Um, so, you know, this isn't over. Uh, the ACC has uh, canceled the game between Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech because both teams were having issues as far as uh, the coronavirus goes. Conference USA just announced that the Rice-Louisiana uh, Tech game scheduled for Saturday has been postponed. Uh, no makeup date has been set. So, you know, here we go. We've already had, what, four games in the SEC wiped out this week? Ohio State's game got wiped out this week in the Big Ten. So we're getting to a point where, you know, we're going to have some schools that might play four or five games. And how do you how do you measure that? And do you even bother? I mean, you know, they're still planning on having a national championship. But, you know, when you've got – when you're going to have teams playing such varied amounts of games, uh, you know, I don't know how legitimate it really is. And, frankly, 2020 may go down just as a giant asterisk Right, a giant asterisk in in uh, in world history. <laughs> it's like the year the world stopped. So you know, well, so we'll see. You know, but uh, but I think what Mohegan Sun is doing is is the uh, is the right move. And and you know, Tom just checked in. He's right. And you know, again, I don't see why they couldn't do it in Orlando. If the if the issue in Orlando was different testing protocols between conferences, again, why if you're the if you're Orlando, why not go to the SEC or the ACC and say, hey, why don't you bring your entire men's basketball, uh, you know, the entire teams, down, all the teams down here, and, you know, we'll, we'll lock them up for, better, for a better way of putting it for a few weeks, and you can get in three, four, five, six conference games in that time in a secure environment. You know, with no fans on campus – it doesn't make any difference. So, anyway, that's where we're at as far as that goes. Uh, the Masters yesterday uh, was strange. It was odd to watch no fans there. You know, it just – it was like playing uh, in a tomb. You know, there was, it was just – it was eerily quiet. But it was also a golf course that was ripe for the taking with the rain they had in the morning. I mean, they played for a half an hour before they had to postpone things. And then you're watching it, and every guy's hitting a shot into the green, and stuff's just sticking. You know, you hit it into the fairway. You're not getting a lot of rollout because everything was wet. But uh, Paul Casey fired a seven under yesterday. He had the lead overnight, but there were still 44 golfers on the course when darkness came. So they had to finish this morning. They're in the process of doing that now. Uh, Casey still has the lead at seven under, but Justin Thomas is having a strong morning. He's got it to six under through 15. A guy by the name of Dylan Fratelli, I have no idea who he is. He's from South Africa. Uh, he is also seven under through 15 holes. So, uh, uh, so Fratelli is tied at top with Casey. Uh, Justin Thomas a stroke back. Uh, Sunji M also having a good morning. He threw 13. He is six under. Uh, so those guys are just a stroke back. Webb Simpson, two strokes back. Uh, he and Xander Shoffley both finished yesterday at five under. Justin Rose is at five under this morning through 13 holes. Um, and of course, everybody wants to talk about Tiger Woods. Tiger with a bogey free 68 yesterday. The first time in his career. This was amazing that he has ever shot. Um, a bogey-free round, and it was it tied the lowest round he's ever shot in the Masters in the first round of 68. They said it was the first bogey-free round, by the way, he had had in a major in 105 rounds. It's like a decade. Uh, Phil Mickelson, whose game had been an absolute train wreck coming in. You know, we talked to uh, Sam Dossler about this on Wednesday, and, you know, there was – you know, his last tournament in Houston, I think he finished nine over, didn't make the cut. He was nine over through the first two rounds. Well, Phil is playing this morning, and Phil has it at uh, four under par through 17 holes. So, again, never count him out, especially in the Masters, as many times as he's played it. Another surprise, how about Bernhard Langer? He's like 60 years old. 
He's four under par. The the story yesterday, uh, Larry Mize. Larry Mize is 62 years old. He shot a two under par 70 yesterday. So we have a 62-year-old in the top 25 after the first round of the Masters. Now, whether he can sustain that or not, uh, obviously it gets harder as you get older, but that's amazing. And he did it. Averaging just 247 yards on his drives. That is that is uh, contrasted with Bryson DeChambeau, the guy that everybody is, the, he's the talk of Augusta, the, how hard he's hitting the ball. Bryson DeChambeau yesterday averaged, uh, let me find this, I think it was, yeah, 334 and a half yards on his drives. 334. Average. Larry Mize was at 247 average. They shot the same score. So go figure. DeChambeau actually had a double bogey early. Uh, DeChambeau came back. He had birdies on 15 and 16 that kind of uh, stopped the bleeding. But, you know, for all his length, a guy that averaged 247 yards and is 62 years old is tied with him. (laughs) I love it. it. And, you know, the older I get, the more I root for the old guys. You know, uh, and we're going to see a guy. There is no doubt. I mean, I remember when Jack Nicklaus won his last his last Masters, the, his sixth, back in 1986. And Jack was 46 years old at the time. And I remember everybody talking about how old he was. You know, not just that he won it, but he was 46. It was like he was ancient. Jesus, I'd love to be 46 again. But it was like he was ancient. But with the change in the equipment, and the change in fitness, uh, you know, we're going to see a guy in his 50s win a major. We are. There's no question. <laughs> John says, yeah, Larry's doing it for the regular guys. You know, that's true. You know, now I don't think Larry Mize at 62 is going to win the Masters. But it's cool. Do you remember when Tom Watson it almost won the British Open? What, he was 59 years old at the British Open? And he was... A, sh- a shot away from winning the damn thing in regulation. He ended up getting bombed in the playoff, ended up going to a playoff and got crushed. But he was a shot away from winning the damn thing at age 59. That would have been a story for the ages. But we're going to see somebody do that. Uh, Bernhard Langer is like 60 years old. He is a guy that could do it. He's four under par, and he comes to Augusta every year, and he competes. You know, and he's a guy that could absolutely win the thing. So I wouldn't be shocked. So anyway, so round two uh, will kick off uh, sometime in about the next uh, couple of hours. Tiger was originally supposed to tee off around 1130 this morning. I imagine that's going to be pushed back, although I'm I'm not positive about that. But uh, Tiger will be on all afternoon on ESPN uh, with their coverage. Uh, baseball news yesterday, the MVPs were announced. Uh, great story. Actually, a couple of great stories. Freddie Freeman wins it in the National League. He uh, beats out uh, Mookie Betts and Manny Machado. Betts got uh, two first-place votes, but uh, Freddie Freeman got 28 of the 30. But he's a great story. Look, this is a guy that actually had the coronavirus prior to the start or the restart of the season. He had it. During the spring and summer, he had it so bad that he literally prayed, please don't take me. I remember when that story came out. He was so sick, he was praying to God that he didn't die. He said he'd never been that sick in his life. So the fact that he was even able to play this year was probably nothing short of a minor miracle. And then he comes out. And just got off to a slow start. Ends up hitting 341. 341. 13 homers, 53 runs batted in. He played all 60 games. He led the major leagues in doubles. And he led the major leagues in runs. And his 53 RBIs, I think, was uh, like fourth or fifth highest in the majors. Not just in the National League. Great, great story. Uh, You know, Mookie was trying to become... uh, uh, just the second player 
to win the MVP in both leagues, and I think he'll do it. The only other person to ever do that is Frank Robinson. Uh, and I think I think Betts will do it at some point, but uh, he finished his second, Machado third. A great bounce back year for Machado. Uh, and, well, a great year for San Diego as a whole, and uh, he was a big part of that reason. In the American League, another great story. Jose Abreu and his reaction when he won the thing was priceless. I mean, this is a guy that came out of Cuba, and a lot of people thought that he was going to be, uh, you know, the greatest Cuban ever to play in Major League Baseball. Well, he had a hell of a year this year. He hit 317, 19 homers, uh, 60 runs batted in, which led the Major Leagues. 148 total bases also led the majors, and a 617 slugging percentage. He also played in all 60 games. So a great story there. Uh, Jose Ramirez, the third baseman from the Indians, finished second in the voting. D.J. LeMahieu, who led both leagues in hitting, um, finished third. So great stories. By the way, it's, by the way, it's the first time since Ryan Howard and Justin Morneau did it that uh, two first basemen won the MVP in the same season. So uh, great story out of Major League Baseball. Um, and uh, one other quick thing before we go to a break, and uh, Dan Zampano coming up uh, at 9.30. Uh, the White Sox uh, have said that they're done talking about the whole Tony La Russa thing. They said that they understood how serious it was before they hired him. So they were not going in blind. They understood what it was. They said, but... You know, their, their statement yesterday was that he deserves all the assumptions and protections granted to everyone in the court of law. He said one, they said once the case reaches resolution in the courts, we'll have more to say and that the White Sox understand the seriousness. Well, that's good. And, but it doesn't sound like they're putting the brakes on anything as far as La Russa goes uh, because uh, they are getting ready to hire a pitching coach. Ethan Katz is supposed to be named their pitching coach. Uh, this is significant for one reason. Ethan Katz... Uh, was the high school pitching coach at Harvard-Westlake High School in L.A. where Lucas Giolito played high school baseball. You know who else played high school baseball there? Uh, Max Freed and Jack Flaherty. So uh, he coached uh, some pretty good guys in high school. He's also had, you know, he's not coming right from high school. He's also had some, uh, some coaching experience with the Angels and with the Seattle Mariners organizations as well. Um, and he also was the assistant minor league pitching coordinator for the San Francisco Giants last year. So it's not a guy coming straight out of high school, but there's some familiarity, obviously, with Lucas Giolito. That's probably part of the reason uh, why they're doing it. So, uh, uh, so despite what's going on with La Russa, it seems like they are just uh, they're moving forward, you know. And I think it, and I agree. I think that I think that he's you know accorded the rights that everybody else is in court. I just don't know. PR-wise, how this is going to play in Chicago if uh, uh, if he ends up being found guilty. So we shall see. 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. And as we are every Friday, we are thrilled to be joined by Dan Zampano to talk NFL football. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, Gene. Um, it wasn't a wake-up call for me. I was up way before your show started, apparently. So I think maybe the uh, the Titans special team scared me into sleeping, or not sleeping, <laughs> rather. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, uh, we've got uh, some stuff. We, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and that was, uh, boy, how about, how about how would you like to be that punter this morning? <laughs> you, you, you think, here's my theory. Here's my theory real quick. Uh, after he shanked that punt, there's no way in my mind that I don't believe that the Titans just let the Colts go through and block that punt and let him get killed. Like, I, I just, all right, we've had enough. Oh, yep, okay. Cut this guy. You Great. know what I mean? Great. Now we got conspiracy theories here on Sports Country Radio. Awesome. <laughs> uh, let's get into some of the games from last week, and then we're going to go over your preseason pick since we're at the halfway point of the season. That this, oh. this, That'll be fun. But uh, let's start with the Patriots last week. And I saw this was the greatest thing. You know, 2020, this is a perfect example of how 2020 is. Only in 2020 could the Patriots squeak out a win over a winless team and you still feel like they're going to the Super Bowl. 
that <laughs> that game last week was gross. It really was. And here's oh. my here's what I want to ask you. Josh McDaniels, before the game started, said, we're going to do some different things this week. The different thing that they did was take away their biggest weapon, which was the legs of Cam Newton. They never had him try to run. And when they finally do decide to do it, he's so unused to it, he tripped over his own feet down near the goal line. I mean, it's almost like McDaniels outsmarted himself last week. I almost don't believe that. You know, Brian Greasy came on the on the air. I feel like that's one of those weird Belichickian things that they do all the time where they say things to the, to media and then they don't end up doing them and throw people off and I don't know. That 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 was a very just sloppy, gritty, grimy, had to claw with your fingernails. I tweeted before the game, I just said I just said one thing. I said, I don't care if you win by one or two points tonight. Just win the game and don't embarrass yourself. Right. And they won the game, yet they embarrassed themselves <laughs> because they were you can't be down ten to the worst team possibly of the last ten years. Yeah. Um you know, I mean that just can't happen. You can't put yourself in that position. And a lot of it falls on the quarterback. A lot of it I know Cam was better in this game, but a lot of it didn't remind you of kind of check down Charlie. Well, it was like check down well, Cam. I mean, you know, it was basically every single play was, was check down underneath to Jacoby Myers, who had a great game, underneath to the running backs. I mean, it was a lot of that stuff, and it was just so frustrating to watch well, that the, the, the slow pace of the offense. I'm watching this game, and early on, like in the, sometime in, in the second quarter, they go, oh, Cam Newton's like 11 for 11. And they said, yeah, well, he's running the Dunkin' Donuts offense. It's dink and dunk. Right. He was like 11 for 11 for like 70 yards. I'm like, that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of hard to get excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's not just him, though. I mean, it, really, a lot of it was. And this has been a problem all year long. How many big plays are the defense going to give up? Yeah. I mean, how many big plays is J.C. Jackson, who's considered <laughs> this, you know, all world corner apparently from PFF, yeah. and he gets burned about six thousand times by something named Brashad Perriman? I mean, I don't even. I, 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 it's hard for me to fathom. Jason McCourty feels like feels like Devin McCourty bribed Bill into coming back by getting Jason McCourty on the team at this point. Well, you know, he stinks. Well, you, know, uh, but, you know, I mean, he's just terrible. But here's the thing. We knew before the season, you had all those guys on defense that opted out. We knew, So we knew at some point this was going to be an issue. And it's obviously that's part of the issue. You know, you have Gilmore who's injured. And, you know, it, it's just like – and because the offense has been so ineffective at times, I think that defense is spending way too much time on the field. But Gene, these guys are veterans. Like I, these yeah, are guys that have won a Super Bowl. They've won Super Bowls. They've been with Bill before. Like this is not like you know Adrian Phillips has not been with the team before. Like I would get it if he was playing poorly. But you know these guys, it's the secondary. It's supposed to be the strength of the defense because of the rest of the defense is pretty much Swiss cheese right now. Right. And and they're getting burned by you know Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder. I mean right. like that's just I mean who, who are these people? So you know what I mean? It's that it's a combination of a bunch of different things, and it showed me one thing: that game, what nothing is different. Nothing is different. The Patriots are still right now one of the worst teams in football, yeah, which are. is bananas to even hear. Their MVP last week, as far as I'm, and I know, well, you could say Folk because he kicked the field goal. I think their MVP was Rex Burkhead. <laughs> they, they yeah. their offense would looked awful until Burkhead came in and just started running people over. I mean, and you know, of all people, that's not the guy that I thought would be, you know, kind of taking that game over. But he's the reason I think they won that game. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Him and Damian Harris. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they, the two running backs there. I mean, how many times before the off season, before the season begins, you know, they maybe draft a running back or bring a running back in and said, well, I guess Burkhead's going to get cut this year. And right. I, I think there's a reason why Burkhead's been on on the team. He's consistent. He runs hard. He runs physical, and he runs downhill. And Harris seems to be a guy that does that too, or in his early stages of his uh, of his career. So, you know, I'm hoping that th look the offensive line and the running backs are clearly like the strong point of the offense. I don't know if you can win that way, uh, obviously. And look, they're going to try and compete and win. Apparently, from what I'm hearing. So, <laughs> if that's what's going to be, that's what it's going to be. Uh, they're going to try. I don't know if they're going to be successful. 
Uh, so let's stay in the uh, AFC East. And uh, mm-hmm. Josh Allen was unimpressive against the Patriots. You know, despite the mm-hmm. final score, he was unimpressive. Uh, as unimpressive as he was against New England, last week against the Seahawks, 31 for 38, 415, three touchdowns, no picks. He looked like a different quarterback last week. That's 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 the ticket you punch. Is is you get a ticket for the roller coaster ride. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you go up and up and up, and you're feeling great. And sometimes you fly down the mountain. And it is. <laughs> it this was one of those games that they flew up and up and up. I mean, granted, yes, Seattle has one of the worst pass defenses. Yep. Actually, really, one of the worst pass defenses of. of of like all time. Right. But, um, you know what? I think Buffalo needed a win like that. They needed a quality win, uh, you know, and those are hard to come by because there's so few good teams in the NFL this year. And, and you know, you gotta be impressed with two is that Stefan Diggs again, I mean, just dominates. I mean, doesn't he? I mean, he is leading the league in catches. He is leading the league in yards. I mean, yep. you can't ask for a better trade than right. what the bills got added from the Vikings and Stefan Diggs. So, that's been a huge help, and it's really opened up a lot of things for other guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley, too. So, you know, that Buffalo offense is working through the passing game. They're not a great run team, but still, that's a really, really quality win. Nobody puts up 44 points in the league and usually loses. So uh, that's a recipe for success for them, and they're, they're on their way. Yeah, you know, the other part of this is, is you know, Russell Wilson, you know, as great as he can be, he, you know, throws a couple of picks last week and, you know, a couple of uh, that really hurt his team. I mean, uh, so he can he can be yeah. very, very good, but he has become a little bit turnover prone. Yeah, uncharacteristic, yeah. I would say. I mean, he has eight interceptions so yeah, far eight. this year. Yeah. And I'm shocked. I, when, I, when I looked at the... When I looked at the stats last week, I see you see four to zero in turnovers. I mean, isn't that like nothing? I mean, that that never happened right. for Seattle. Look, they turned the ball over four times. So, you know, they will never win a game like that, especially with their defense. So, uh, you know, when you put pressure on that defense, and you know what the strange thing was was that Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap came back for this game. They were worse. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. what was so shocking about it. So, you know, they've got some things to work out in Seattle, no question. Um. So if the game last week is a preview of what we have to look uh, forward to in the future of quarterback in, in the NFL, that game between Miami and Arizona was fun to watch. Uh, Tua and, and Kyler Murray both put on a show last week, and it tells me, I, and I have to admit, uh, you know, I, I was wrong about Kyler Murray. I did not think he was going uh, to excel in the NFL, and I have I've come around. He is playing so much better than I thought he was going to. I thought he made a mistake not not going to play baseball, you know. Um, but yeah. But last week, those two guys were so much fun. And Murray, not just I mean, he threw that he's twelve twenty one for twenty six, three picks, and he runs for a hundred yards. I mean, yeah, th- th- that's fun. That that was a fun game. You know, Kyler Murray is like fifth in the league in like rushing yards. I know. Like he, yeah. like it's, it's something absurd like that. You yeah. know, like he is fun. He's like, he's like a little chicken nugget running around out there. I mean, he's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but you know, I, I just think that Murray electrifies the game, but again, like the lack of defense that the Cardinals now have, I mean, I think they really miss Chandler Jones. I think yep. that's a, that's a, that's a problem for them and, and getting after Tua uh, was an issue. Um, but Tua, you know, I was surprised as any, that Tua was able to go into that environment on the road as a rookie and really perform pretty well. And, you know, if he's going to get that out of it, I mean, I said this before the season, and we're going to talk about playoff predictions, but Miami happened to be one of the teams that I picked to go to the playoffs. Yeah. I really believed that Tua would be, you know, playing at some point in the season and, and would and would thrive. And, and with Brian Flores behind him and him having a defense that just causes turnovers left and right. I mean, that defense gets so many takeaways. It's incredible. Uh, Miami's prime, and, and don't look now, but Miami's got the next three games against the Chargers, the Jets, and the Bengals. Oh. They could easily be 8-3 yeah. and three wow. heading into a game, I believe, against the Chiefs. So watch out for Miami. Yeah, I mean, and the, the thing that was impressive to me, I think Tua needed to have the kind of game he had last week. I mean, look, they won his first start, but to say he was underwhelming mm-hmm. would be an understatement. 
Uh, so I think uh, yeah. I think he needed to make a statement and make people believe, and I think everybody's a believer now. Uh, let's see. There, what else we got? Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> the, Pits- the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. Goodness gracious. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I actually I found myself doing something last week that I didn't think I would ever do. I was actually rooting for the Dallas Cowboys. Because I really was because that would have, you know, and it has, it's nothing against Pittsburgh. It's just that they are so pathetic, the Cowboys, you know, and to have, you know, what they're on their fourth quarterback to have them beat an undefeated team would have been a great story. So I actually found myself rooting for the Cowboys, but like the Cowboys have done all season, they found a way to lose this one. I think I found myself rooting for Garrett Gilbert. Yeah, well, I, I guess his you know what that might have been. Cool. Yeah, you know that might have been it. That maybe that maybe that's yeah. what it was. I mean, think about this guy. This guy has been in the league for almost ten years. Never started a game, um, and and he you know he started. He had to come in for Colt McCoy in the two thousand nine national championship for Texas. I mean, that's how long ago he was playing. Right. And and you know for him to get his first start there. Against Pittsburgh, and I, by the way, absolutely stupendous uniform matchup. I mean, that is just the classic. That probably takes you back to being a kid. I yeah, mean, really, it it's did. probably yeah. with the Cowboys Steelers. It's a great uniform matchup. But I mean, gosh, this is, for an undefeated team, the Steelers put you on pins and needles, don't yeah. they? I mean, they really know how to make you sweat. Um, but their defense stepped up in the second half. They ended up outscoring. Um, outscoring Dallas in the second half pretty handily. And, you know, Big Ben doing what he always does, hobbling around on one knee, finding a way to throw it down the field with his arm. So, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, listen, uh, I don't think they're going to go 16-0, and but they're certainly one of the very, very few Super Bowl contenders. All right, let's take a look at what you had for playoff picks at the uh, at the at before the season started. We'll start in the AFC. And I have to admit, you did a, you, you, you did a pretty good job except for one one team. Uh, and we all yeah. know what that is. <laughs> I mean, you had the, the Chiefs win in the AFC West. Uh, Tennessee win in the AFC South. That's a little iffy after last night, perhaps, because now Indianapolis mm-hmm. has that tiebreaker. Uh, you had Baltimore winning the AFC North. That looks like, you know, iffy, but they could still do that. And the Patriots winning the AFC East. But you still had the Bills and Miami and Pittsburgh all making the playoffs. So really the only playoff team that you picked that ain't making it, it looks like it's going to be the New England Patriots. Yeah, wild, and I think they're going to be replaced by another team. And to me, there's only one team that left, and it's the Vegas Raiders. I think that that's a team that that uh, you know has a really, really kind of. It's been a long time coming for their offense, and, and now that they have the speed to do it, they can do it. Their defense still kind of uh, leaky at times, but you know what? I think the Raiders are that team, that seventh team that are probably going to sneak in. Well, it's either gonna... uh, maybe Indianapolis too. Yeah. I think Indianapolis is there as well. But I, I really like the Raiders to make the playoffs here. I, I think if I was going to switch out the Patriots, and uh, I would probably take the Raiders. But yeah, I, I wasn't that bad. So I was pretty, pretty, pretty much spot on. You don't, uh, you don't, you're not giving the uh, the Cleveland Browns a chance. They're getting Nick Chubb back this week. Nope. No. No. Okay. No. No. Nope. Still nope. not we buying it. About still it. not buying it. Okay. I, I keep trying to get you to buy in, but that's all right. All right, so now the freshman now, bully, the freshman bully—that's all they are. The team you had coming out of the AFC into the Super Bowl. Do you remember who you you picked? Yes, I had the Baltimore Ravens. Correct. How do you feel about that now? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I don't like it. I I think if the Ravens can't listen, the Ravens are a good team, but if they can't beat the best teams, they're not going to win. Right. I mean, that's the bottom yeah. line. You have to be able to beat good teams, and they don't do it ever. So, to me, there's only two teams right now eligible for the Super Bowl, in my estimation, and that's Kansas City and Pittsburgh. So, and, and Kansas City is above Pittsburgh, just so everybody knows. Kansas City is above everybody. There's nobody that's near Kansas City when it comes to football teams. They are the clear-cut best team in the league. Well, let's switch over to the NFC. And, and uh, do you remember who you picked to come out of the NFC to win the, uh, the Super Bowl? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, I'm going to talk about it. The, you had uh, the Dallas Cowboys coming out of the NFC. Yes, I did. Um, you had Dallas winning the NFC East, as a matter of fact. Now, th- now to be fair, 
that could still There's happen. Still <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, when you look at it and the fact that you've got three, four, and one leading the division, and Dallas is that Dallas is what a game and a half behind at two and seven. So it's possible. Anything's possible. You still had you had Green Bay yeah. coming out of the NFC North. Uh, you had Tampa coming. You had Tampa coming out of the NFC South. How are you feeling about that right now? Uh, with two losses to New Orleans, that's tough. Yeah, I mean New Orleans is going to have to to drop off, and they're only getting healthier. So we'll see. I, I I don't rule that one out though. I really do like Tampa a lot. I think they only get better every week. And you had uh, San Francisco, or no, excuse me, you had Seattle coming out of the NFC West, and yeah. that looks like a yeah. no-brainer. Uh, yeah, you, that one's going to happen. Now you had the 49ers still making the playoffs. That's uh, yeah, I, it's a it's a bad luck. It's bad luck. You know, like they were the hospital. Yeah. They were the they were the emergency room. This That's year, true. You know what I mean? Like they they just have so many injuries. But if I look at that West, I think that West is actually still wide open. I'm not entirely sold on Seattle. Now okay. I, I think there's a very good chance that that the Rams and really the Cardinals. Uh, could could emerge as the NFC West champion. I think that 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 division will come down in the last two or three weeks. I think, gun to my head, I, I I can't. I have a hard time seeing the Rams with with Jared Goff uh, at quarterback coming out of the NFC West. But I guess anything's possible. Uh, you also have Philadelphia as a wild card team. Now there's a chance they're going to be the uh, NFC East leader uh, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, if so, if you had to replace Dallas. And San Francisco, who do you, who are the two teams you think are going to replace them for the playoffs? Oh, that's tough. Uh, I, I would say Arizona is definitely one. Okay. I think I really really like what they're doing. Um, outside of that, what man, about the Bears? oh, that's awesome. As I was going to say that, but I just I don't know if the Bears have their offense is terrible. I mean, really, you want to talk about anemic and like watching grass grow? That's the Bears' <laughs> offense. So, you know, I, I, I just, I, I would hesitate. I hate picking this team because I don't really like them either, but I, I think the Rams are right there to be able to, to, to get another playoff spot and you get three teams coming out of the AFC, NFC West. Wow. The seventh seed. So, wow. Yeah, I, I think the Rams are that next team because there's nobody in the North. And well, I, I, I minute, the South, minute. the South. I should have said the Saints. Yeah, I forgot about the Saints. So or Tampa, yeah, the Saints are the team. Forget or, or Tampa because or Tampa. Right either, now, either one of those teams. Yeah, because right now New Orleans has control really of that uh, of the uh, of the South because they've got the tiebreakers. So uh, you know, you would have to think that. But Tampa, Tampa's Tampa's got to be careful because the look as bad as as much as we say about the Rams, the Rams do have a really good defense. Like that is true, yep, and yep. you know Tampa needs to win games. They can't just sit on the walls. Like this is a very very crowded NFC this year. All right, let's take a look at this week's games and uh, see what uh, Swami thinks. Here's what we know: uh, we know that Dan Zampano's Super Bowl ain't happening. It will <laughs> it will not be Dallas and. Uh, 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 and Baltimore. If it is, you've got a school. Still a chance. Matter of fact, if that happens, <laughs> I'm buying you dinner. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. All right. I'm, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's take a look at this week's games. Uh, game number one, I'm going to give you, um, and it's going to be another one of these ugly games. It's going to be like the Patriots-Jets last week. The Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. And – it's a gross game, but you look at the standings, and it's a huge game as far mm-hmm. as both these teams go. I mean, the Giants, as bad as they are, could put themselves right in the playoff picture with a win this week. Uh, Philadelphia is a three-and-a-half yeah. point favorite. Yeah, the Giants, to me, uh, you know, they have played out of their minds the last couple of weeks. Uh, being able to cover and almost beat the Bucks um, was a big step in the right direction. They played pretty good defense. I got to tell you, like, they're 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 on the right track with their defensive um, prowess, but eventually these turnovers from Daniel Jones have to catch up with them. And I think Philadelphia is coming off of a bye. It's a perfect time for them. They're getting Miles Sanders back. They're getting Alshon Jeffrey back. A couple of weeks ago, when these two teams played, it was a one point game. The Eagles had to scratch out at the end. I think this one is a little more comfortable. They've been historically very good at at Giant Stadium or MetLife Stadium. Um, I, I'm going to take the Eagles here to, to kind of start pulling away in the NFC East. Uh, game number two, this one on the road. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks have uh, have some splaining to do 
after last week's embarrassment. I mean, they need to make a statement this week, don't they? That they do. That they do. I'm, I think that they can, although the problem is that they're going to be playing a really young, scrappy Carolina Panthers team that is not going to go quietly. I'll tell you that. They gave the Chiefs everything they had last week, and you know, I think the Panthers are going to be a live dog for a lot of teams. I've been on the Panthers bandwagon basically for the last you know five, six weeks. I love their team. I love their makeup. I love Matt Rule as a coach. Even though they don't have Christian McCaffrey, I think they keep this game pretty close, actually. Um, but I think Tampa ultimately will find a way to win, um, and Brady kind of wills them in this game to be able to, to get over the hump and get a divisional win. Uh, another interesting game, and, you know, you you referenced it earlier. Uh, the Chargers are at Miami. The Chargers were a uh, a replay away from beating the Raiders last week on the last <laughs> play. Again, the Chargers find a way That's to it. lose games. They are unbelievable. Uh, Miami is only a one and a half point favorite at home against this Chargers team. That 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 team is a heart attack on a bond, oh and God. and and it's usually the heart attack. I mean it's. You usually don't survive it. I mean, that's it. Really, is just an embarrassing what they do at the end of games. Yeah. But um, to me, you got a Chargers team. You said the line was one and a half, yep. right? Yep. So why the heck would you pick the Chargers? I mean, there's no reason to pick them to win a close game. Uh, they, they just they don't know how to win close games. And to me, I think the Dolphins getting the turnovers, and you got Brian Flores going to be coaching against the rookie quarterback. The Chargers have been playing in temperature-controlled conditions for a while, um, and now they're going to go play in, down in Miami in the heat. I don't think they're well-conditioned. I don't think they're well-coached, and I don't think they're a very good football team. So I think the Dolphins are one. <laughs> don't hold back on us. Uh, check, check all three boxes. You, you sure you. did. <laughs> Uh, another big test for the Buffalo Bills this week on the road at Arizona. Arizona is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. This should be an interesting one. It will be an interesting game. How does Arizona respond after the loss to Miami? Uh, and, and what is the roller coaster going to bring us this week with the Buffalo Bills? I, I, is, there, is their defense going to be able to stop the run? And, and usually that's not the case. So, to me, they're going to have to throw it all over the yard, and they're going to have to make some plays against the running game of the Arizona Cardinals, which is one of the top in the league, and usually they haven't been very good at that. So, to me, I think Arizona is a bounce-back week for them. I would take the Cardinals here. I know a lot of people love the Bills maybe in this spot, but I think they struggle against Kingsbury's offense and, and, and the Cardinals in a very high-scoring game, I think. This will be a shootout down the, out in the desert. Sunday night. Baltimore at, at New England. This has the potential to be an absolute blowout, doesn't it? It's a nightmare matchup. I mean, it's it's a real nightmare matchup. You got the Ravens who have just been struggling. Um, they won last week, but again, the offense is still really, really slow. I, the, I hope the Patriots can get guys like Lawrence Guy back and, and, and maybe, I don't know who they're going to play at linebacker. I mean, there was somebody named Therese Hall out there last week. Does anybody have him uh, on, on the clock today at Walmart? I mean, he's just like, where are they getting him? So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a really bad matchup. The Patriots haven't been able to stop the run at all this season, and this is the best rushing team in football. I have fear for the lives of guys like, you know, Chase Winovich and and Uche and, and all those guys, because they're, they're getting a train coming on the track, and its name is Lamar Jackson. So I think the, I think the Ravens pretty much handle business here, and I, I, I think they probably cover the seven as well. Uh, Monday night, if the Chicago Bears have hopes of making the playoffs, they need to win this game, yet they are underdogs at home. They are a two-and-a-half-point dog at home against the Minnesota Vikings, a Vikings team that has – underwhelmed people to say the least yeah they're underdogs like every week <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and they're somehow like five and three you know it's like it's wild um but the problem is that they just don't have very good offense and to me you know you can't really survive all the time when your offensive line is banged up and you're just throwing up to Allen robinson i mean that's just there's not 
much else for Nick Foles to do. And, and it's really not on the, on the team. It's on the coach. I mean, the coach just doesn't even watch the game half the time. He's just looking in his play sheet, looking, looking to see, you know, uh, he doesn't watch the plays. I mean, he's got highlighter. looking at his highlighter coordinated play sheet. I mean, it's wild. So to me, you know, I, I don't like either of these teams gun to my head. I'll take the Vikings. Um, I'm taking all favorites this week, but I don't care. I think it's going to readjust because the dogs have been live. But I, I like I like the Vikings to win right right here. It's a good spot. Dalvin Cook, who's the better running back in the league right now than Dalvin Cook? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, as long as Kirk Cousins doesn't turn the ball over, they should be okay. All right, I got one more question for you, and this is an old man question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was announced. It. it was announced yesterday. Uh, the, the who the uh, the headliner is for the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Who in the hell is the weekend? What, is that a and is that is that, a, is that a group? Is that is it one guy? What is it? No. What is the weekend? So, <laughs> so the weekend is and and it's the weekend spelled without an without an e on the end. I saw that. I so thought it was a typo. It, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. All I know. Right. I know. We have a different language, us us uh, us millennials. I guess. Um, but but the weekend is an R and B singer. Okay. Uh, that does a lot of techno stuff, but he's he is actually uh, he reminds me a lot of Michael Jackson uh, really? in his voice. Okay. And, and and if you actually you can go on and listen, he does a cover of Dirty Diana that is absolutely fire, as the kids say. Okay. So um, so this is a good. He's really good. So this he's is a good really, choice. You're telling me people are going to like this. I think, I think he's I think he's a good choice. He's got some good beats and and. I wouldn't want to watch you dancing in your living room, oh, but, yeah. you know, you might be. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Dan Zapano, he can be heard every Saturday and Sunday here on Sports Country Radio on the Sunday card. It is on Saturdays at 11, 3, and 5, and again on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Dan, have a great weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Enjoy it, Gene. God bless. All right. Dan Zampano here on radio that is going to do it for us here this morning we appreciate your time we will see you on monday we leave you this morning with a little music from kelsey ballerini the hole in a bottle of wine you've been listening to the wake-up call on sports country